This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for weekly research insights as investors respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is August 27th, 2020. This week, credit markets then and now. While we haven't returned to pre-COVID conditions, the difference between markets today and how their condition less than six months ago is as stark as, well, as stark as things looked back then. To get the full story, we spoke with Hamid Fakirian, Vice President on MSCI's Multi-Asset Class Research Team. Hamid, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So, usually when someone doesn't know where to start a story, the advice is often, start at the beginning. Today, I'd like to go against that advice and start at the end of our story. So, in broad strokes, can you describe what the credit markets look like today? Sure. Credit markets have sort of uh, pulled back from the brink. I, I think we were really staring into an abyss uh, there in, in late March and early April. And today, what, uh, what we see is sort of very, very different from that, where what we're seeing is sort of what classically looks like the beginning of a new credit cycle, uh, as opposed to, you know, the end of one or the sort of the, the, the precipice of, of one ending. We see sort of elevated risk premia in certain credit markets where, you know, the, the, the re- very real shock that we experienced from the COVID crisis uh, is going to have long lasting effects. You know, think airlines, any sort of live events company, stuff like that where there is going to be sort of a, a reallocation uh, of risk premium based on you know the reality on the ground. Defaults are elevated, and we don't see a sign of them really pulling back in terms of real bankruptcies in the, in the real economy. But what we do see is sort of a rather placid credit market where you know, things are priced uh, at elevated spreads relative to uh, the pre-COVID reality, but um, things aren't falling apart uh, in, in sort of the manner uh, of freefall that we were witnessing in uh, in March and April. That's a very different story than a full-on financial panic. Exactly. And that's why it's so important and why I wanted to start where we are now. Because as you mentioned, when coronavirus hit the world, it, it hit the markets really hard and, and nobody knew where it was going to stop. So at this point, I'd like to plot our path back to today, starting from last spring, which I don't know about you, but feels like it was so long ago to me. Back to March, what did we see from the markets then? What were investors concerned about? Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I feel like this year has been a decade long, so um, I, I fully agree with that. I think it's actually instructive to sort of uh, give the context of where we were in March, which is you know all-time highs for the stock market really compressed spreads in the credit markets, meaning that credit was expensive. There was a sense of, you know, everything is so expensive, any disturbance might be amplified in a way that that would be really surprising to the market. And I think that's exactly what happened, basically. And then the shock, I think, ended up being much, much larger than anyone really anticipated. Because everyone had sort of, you know, paid a premium to be in the position they were and had no real conception of what the post-COVID crisis would look like, I think there was sort of a dash to liquidity. And to be honest, the, what we saw in the investment grade market was such extreme selling pressure to the extent that I, I, I don't think anything in the data actually comes even close to what we saw in terms of uh, the, the spread blowouts that we saw in, in March and April. And that's including the 2008 uh, financial crisis, right? 
the speed of this thing is unprecedented, and the speed of of the um, you know subsequent reversal is also unprecedented. I'm curious, did it need to be an external shock, or was it truly end of cycle behavior where the model's showing some type of negative reaction if COVID or some other shock didn't happen? Yeah, I mean, I think that was sort of the the probably the, the mean forecast was that we'd have, you know, maybe defaults in a particular market. One thing that, that happened in the energy markets that sort of maybe antedated the, the COVID crisis by just a little bit was the plunge in oil prices and the oil price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia, which had sort of broad implications. But I think that is sort of something that, that was more forecastable in the sense of, you know, there'll be a shock and maybe a bunch of defaults in a particular part of the credit markets. Uh, and then this would mean sort of a little bit of elevation in spreads. But I don't think the, that that was sort of uh, thought of as something that could affect, you know, double A IG spreads for a completely unexposed sector to the energy markets. Exactly. Exactly. And so picking up the story there, when you were looking ahead through the models in March, what what story were they telling? Okay, so the amount of issuance in the in the, the corporate debt markets was really sort of on a tear for years, uh, years and years. And so folks were keeping an eye on throughout, you know, 17, 18 uh, into 20, was that the, the riskiest part of the investment grades credit band uh, was expanding at a much faster rate than everything else. And if there was a recession, maybe you'd see um, a lot of downgrades within the, this is the, the triple B segment. And if the if you have a lot of downgrades in that segment, that means um, all that paper sort of gets dumped onto the high yield market. And there were questions about, you know, what happens in that scenario where, you know, there might be uh, a bunch of managers who need to dump that paper because their mandates say, you know, investment grade only or their benchmarks are to investment grade bonds only. And the questions arose is sort of like if there is a coordinated selling event within the investment grade market, can the high yield market absorb the sheer quantity of of paper that would sort of be dumped onto it? And would sort of investment grade managers uh, sort of suffer a, a sort of coordinated loss because everyone's selling at the same time? And then, like the cavalry coming up over the hill, the central banks step in. Yeah. Um, okay, so I, uh, I was an intern at Merrill Lynch um, uh, in 2008. The 2008 financial crisis, in a lot of ways, was sort of uh, an inflection point in central bank policymaking. Um, and reflecting on sort of what happened in 2008 and sort of the, the alternative uh, monetary policy tools that were unveiled then, that stuff took years and years to sort of, uh, you know, think hard about and then actually implement. What I compare sort of what happened in March, uh, you can basically take all of the lessons of the global financial crisis and all of the policies that, that sort of, uh, you know, either organically or, uh, you know, externally were, were um, thought of and created. All that stuff took years and years to implement over the global financial crisis, and all of it was implemented within weeks. Uh, in March. And I think the evidence is fairly clear that risk premia in in the credit markets were uh, extraordinarily elevated and uh, the credibility of the central bank to backstop um, all this debt really, really pulled us back from the brink. Which brings us right back to today. What are investors concerned about today and, and what stressors are you seeing on the markets that investors should probably keep an eye on? 
Um, I, I, I think um, there is sort of a, a multiplicity of shapes uh, being sort of bandied about in terms of what the recovery will look like, right? You have the, the V-shape, the U-shape, the swoosh-shape. Um, and I think what we're seeing is something akin to a K-shape. What we're seeing today is elevated risk premia relative to the pre-COVID times, but sort of, you know, a dramatic recovery uh, along the axis of companies which aren't exposed to, you know, the most deleterious effects of the crisis. And then, uh, you know, a, a sort of a halting of, of recovery in those sectors which are. But I think what the credit markets right now are, are pricing in is that the industries that aren't exposed to the virus are as safe as they were pre-crisis, more or less. At the same time, we're seeing sort of record issuance by companies which are perceived as a super safe. So uh, like your Googles and your Microsofts might be able to issue more debt than they've ever been able to issue. And investors w- are clamoring for it because, you know, it, it's companies which are uh, extremely safe. Whereas in, I think, if you're an airline company or, um, you know, maybe a, a tourism company, I think there the, your fortunes are still, still pretty dire. And so the question becomes, you know, can those companies which are uh, heavily exposed ride out the wave until something approximating normalcy returns? So it sounds like, unlike in March, the market is functioning pretty much like it should? I mean, more or less, yeah, I think so. Now, throughout this interview, you've been speaking, Hamed, with the perspective of a seasoned professional. But you mentioned being an intern at Merrill Lynch back in 2008. I'm curious, what were you thinking coming into the industry at that time? Okay, so my first day at Merrill Lynch was the day that Lehman declared bankruptcy. And the night before at midnight, Merrill Lynch was sold to Bank of America. And so my first day was... uh, you go upstairs, say hello, and then you call to an all hands. And the all hands is basically about you know whether or not everyone in that room will be fired. Um, and I, you know, I'm an intern, so uh, I have you know the disadvantage of being useless, but the advantage of being costless. So I, I was, um, you know, I was just sort of a witness to this world historical event. The anxiety and excitement that was in the air at that time was, you know, fascinating because I had the stakes for me were extremely low. Now that I am an adult attached to the industry with all of the sort of uh, obligations and responsibilities that adulthood comes, you know, you, you might have a bead of sweat running down your forehead. Well, thank you so much again for joining us, Hamed. This was a great conversation and we'd love to have you back again to see where we are perhaps six months from now. Thanks a lot, Adam. I appreciate it. That's all for this week. Thanks to Hamed and all of you for joining us. Remember, it takes just a moment to subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or share with a friend. Until next week, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.